We're gabbing. We're gabbing. We're gabbing. We're gabbing. We're gabbing. We're gabbing. Welcome to Gabbing. Gabbing. With Gracie. And Heather. I am not going to be drinking anything tonight because I had dental surgery and so I can't drink. So I'm going to have water. I am actually having a bottle of red wine. Poppy. Merlot. Oh, you're drinking Merlot? I'm drinking Merlot. I decide I'm trying to venture out here. And do you like it? Yeah. I'm surprised. I did a search, like, what's a good drink for this time of the year? You know, it's getting cooler. Mm -hmm. And they suggested Merlot. Well, I'm glad you like it. Well, we're going to venture off and it's probably going to be even more disorganized than normal because we didn't really discuss what exactly we're doing. But we thought for Halloween, we would have a little Halloween special and we're going to go back and finish up Pride and Prejudice for our next episode. But in the meantime, we thought we would discuss some short stories or books that we would recommend or that we are reading for the Halloween season. This should be, as you said, very disorganized. Yeah. I don't know if you want to start or if you want me to start? I, you know, in looking through the internet, the World Wide Web, and seeing that The Shining Girls is a scary, a quote-unquote scary book, I definitely have read this book, but it's been some time. Is it the one where they go through time in this house? Yes. Yes. I read yes. that as well. Who's yes. the author? The author is Lauren Bukes, if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. Uh, and of course, this was released some time ago, and I think I read it the year that it was released, over 10 years. Nice. So this one is rated 3.54 on Goodreads, hmm. and it's 300 165 pages. But I remember it being somewhat of a fast read. Maybe because I was on the train, you know, back then I was able to have more time reading. I think it's a lot of little short chapters, if I remember correctly. It was a fast paced book because of that reason, because they were going from, you know, place to place to place through this apartment. And the The premise is Harper Curtis is a killer who stepped out of the past. Kirby Morosky is the girl who was never meant to have a future. Kirby is the last shining girl, one of the bright young women burning with potential whose lives Harper is destined to snuff out after he stumbles on a house of depression air Chicago that opens up into other times. So yeah, there's like a house and he goes in it and like he can travel through time and he's basically hunting her. It was good. It was spooky. It was good, but how did it end? Therein lies the question. How did it end? Obviously he must have gotten caught or killed or something. Yeah, I'm assuming. It's been a long time since I read it too. It's all the more reason why people should read it. Yes. Please check it out. Is there anything recent that you've read that you're just like, oh my god, this is like giving me the chills? I just finished a book this morning. Oh, really? That's pretty good. I think 2022. This was a recommendation of my friend Rebecca and it was really good. I would recommend it. Like, highly recommend it. It's called Our Wives Under the Sea and it's by Julia Armfield, and it's got 3.82 stars on Goodreads, and it's 240 pages. It was like a really quick read. Like, I read it over the weekend. Wow. And that's pretty 240 pages? Yeah. And I would say, like, I would describe it as it's haunting. Like, I texted Rebecca and was like, this book is going to haunt me. So, this is Miri thinks that she got her wife back when Leah finally returned after a deep sea mission that ended in 
catastrophe. It soon becomes clear, though, that Leah is not the same. Whatever happened in that vessel, whatever it was that they were supposed to be studying before they were stranded on the ocean floor, Leah has brought part of it back with her onto dry land and into their home. It's very much about like life after trauma and the breakdown of relationships. And it was just haunting. I don't want to say too much, but basically they're supposed to go on a submarine for three weeks and the submarine disappears for months. And so it goes back and forth between current times with Mary, like trying to deal with present life. And then it goes back to Leah being on the vessel and interacting with other people on the vessel. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, very good book. Different too, I would say. Mm -hmm. It came out in March of 2022 and it was nominated for Best Horror and Best Debut Novel. Really? I'm really curious because it doesn't sound like horror to me, but then I don't know what happens. Horror is such a broad spectrum. That's why when we can talk about this next, the the short story that we were like being like, should it be part of this? Should it not be part of this? Because yeah, like horror is such like a broad spectrum that like it doesn't have to necessarily be scary. It could be like disturbing. It could be thoughtful. I found it like particularly like disturbing and almost scary because like the ocean freaks me out. Like the idea of being Mm -hmm. stuck in a submarine under the Mm -hmm. water. Well, especially considering what happened this year. Yeah. And we we don't know what's going on down there whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We know less about the ocean than anything else. No, we don't know anything at all. Yeah. So that's a recent one that it just came out last year that I would highly recommend. Our Wives Under the Sea. But the one that we were talking about or that we were alluding to is The Lottery by Shirley Jackson who Shirley Jackson is like classic horror but I actually have her three different things by Shirley Jackson on my list the lottery is the short story and then I have the haunting a hill house and I have we have always lived in the castle yeah I've always lived in the castle that sounds familiar too well let's talk about the lottery and this is you know you're talking about perspectives I always found and I told this to you earlier that anything that's dystopian apocalyptic Mm -hmm. is scary to me because I truly believe, I truly envision that all of those things can happen. When I read the lottery, it seemed to me something that happened in the past that can happen again because society seems to always be going back in time instead of moving forward. Mm -hmm. And, you know... The lottery is, and let me see if I could. While you're pulling it up, it's 4.8 stars on Goodreads. So very, very highly rated. And it's only 30 pages. So there's no excuse. No excuse whatsoever. The gist of it is, in a small American town, the local residents are abuzz with excitement, nervousness, when they wake on the morning of the 27th of June. Everything has been prepared for the town's annual tradition, a lottery in which every family must participate and no one wants to The Lottery stands out as one of the most famous short stories in American literary history. Originally published in The New Yorker, the author immediately began receiving letters from readers who demanded an explanation of the story's meaning. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, The Lottery, I don't know if you had to read it in school. I had to read it in school. 
people. And like, what's so terrifying I find about it is that it's not explained. You don't know what, why, why this is happening, what the significance of the date is. There's the juxtaposition of it's this gorgeous, beautiful summer day and everyone in town is getting together and stuff. And it seems like it would almost be like they're going to a picnic, but instead they're choosing, they're doing this lottery, which ends up like someone ends up dying because of it. And this so, person is stoned. Yeah, stoned to death. And so it's, yeah, so it's like there's, the, it's got like the irony and the juxtaposition are oh, terrifying. like the you know, town folks are just like, oh, ho, ho, how are you doing? And just, you know, cracking jokes and, oh, where's so-and-so? And it's just, and it's the nervousness yeah. of it that is making them act that way. They're trying to maintain also as much um, semblance of their daily life, but knowing that one of them is to go. And and what I found interesting is, is that, and I don't think I noticed this before, I thought, okay, it's only the adults, but it's the adults that do the picking, but still the children are the ones that could easily be stoned as well when there's a second lottery within the story, right? Yeah, because I think it's, they pick a family first, and mm-hmm. then they pick someone within that family. Mm-hmm. And so, because the, the main character is like doing a lot of bargaining, bargaining, being like, well, why isn't my daughter-in-law or somebody like, she wants somebody to may include it in the family to make it less likely that one of her biological family gets chosen. And that's not the case. It's, once you're married into another family, that's it. I think it was her daughter because it's part of, you know, so-and-so's family. Uh, maybe it was the daughter and she wanted the son-in-law to be part of their lottery but they can't because they have their own family once you marry that's it but i found that to be it's not to keep saying haunting but maybe that's what i like i like haunting stories because that's what i liked about our wives under the sea it's not necessarily i don't want to be scared but it leaves I wanna, an impression. I want something that's thought provoking that's gonna leave me like feeling haunted. Exactly. That I was just about to say that thought provoking. Yeah. Because if it's something that's going to jump scare you, like you said, the sensation is over and you've moved on to the next thing. Yeah. And that's it. It's just a it's just what's the word that I'm trying to say? It's you know, people just trying to get like literally a scare out of you, like, oh, mm-hmm. you jump. Okay, that's it. I was you know, keep you guessing as to what's gonna happen next in a state of fear. As opposed to, like you said, being thought-provoking and like how that can translate into actual society. Because mm-hmm. maybe something was pulled from society. It might be a commentary that she was trying to make, a metaphor that yeah. we'll never know about. 1948. So mm-hmm. yeah, there was, so she most likely was. Like it was probably a commentary on like all the post-World War II stuff. Could be. They like the treatment of women as well, just because mm-hmm. of Tessie's reaction to, I mean, and it's a justified reaction, right? Like, She's, you know, grasping at straws, trying mm-hmm. to see how she can get herself out of this. Because who wants to be stoned to death? It's like her, her quote unquote good friends. I'm calling them good because I have no idea what type of relationship everyone has with each other. Everyone's cordial, but you know, that's about yeah, it. Yeah, we're just um, given a taste. We, yeah, we're we're left wanting more. The girlfriends pick up, one of them picks up like a very big stone to throw at her. So I I thought to myself, okay, is she doing it because she wants to put her out of her misery immediately? Or is just like, ah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. But if you have not read this, definitely check it out. 
Tell me a bit about the other ones by Shirley Oh, Jackson. yeah. So the other one, I mean, The Haunting of Hill House, most people have heard of because they've made it into like a really popular show, but the book is actually quite different. The book is rated 3.82 stars on Goodreads and it's 182 pages. And it's the story of four seekers who arrive at a notoriously unfriendly pile called Hill House. Dr. Montague, an occult scholar looking for solid evidence of a haunting, Theodora, the lighthearted assistant, Eleanor, the friendless, fragile young woman with well acquainted with poltergeist, and Luke, the future heir of Hill House. At first, their stay seems destined to be merely a spooky encounter with an inexplicable phenomena, but Hill House is gathering its powers, and soon it will choose one of them to make its own. Hmm. Okay, okay. Uh, but yeah, so that's The Haunting of Hill House, another classic Shirley Jackson. And it's and it's short. It's only a hundred what is it, hundred thirty-eight? 182. Yeah, she's not like a long-winded writer. She gives you just enough to want you to know more. My favorite line, hook, line, sinker. She's like, Yeah. I got you, I'm going to drop you, and I'm going to keep it moving. Exactly. The other Oh, one yeah. is We Have Always Lived in the Castle. That got 3.94 stars, and it's 146 pages. And taking readers deep into a labyrinth of dark neurosis, We Have Always Lived in the Castle is a deliciously unsettling novel about a perverse, isolated, and possibly murderous family and the struggle that ensues when a cousin arrives at their estate. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds a bit familiar. Have they done anything visually with that? Not that I've seen, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did, maybe under a different name. Mm-hmm. There's probably things that have been inspired by it. I wonder. <laughs> yeah, so I recommend all three of those, Shirley Jackson. They they And anything else, she wrote a lot of stuff. Those are just the ones I've read. sounds like this sounds and I like the fact that they're short books, so I really need to keep her for you know close Yeah. to me. Um I definitely want to check it out now. Well, the other one that I had as a short story, since we we did talk about the lottery, that isn't traditionally considered like a horror, but I thought that it fit in with like just going back to what you were saying about dystopian, A Modest Proposal by Jonathan Swift. Have you ever read that short story? No. Okay, so it's really considered like iconic as um, being satire and hyperbolic, but I see it as also being like really like disturbing. <laughs> Really? <laughs> as well it's only 48 pages it's 4.02 rating on goodreads and basically it's a modest proposal prevent for preventing the children of poor people from being a burden to their parents or country and for making them beneficial to the public and it's a satire essay written In 1729, where Swift suggests that the impoverished Irish might ease their economic troubles by selling their children as food for rich gentlemen and ladies. And it's this satirical hyperbolic mocks heartless attitudes towards the poor, which were predominantly Irish Catholic, as well as British policy towards the Irish in general. Okay. So it's like really like a, a political satire essay that he wrote, but like reading it now, it's like so disturbing because there's a, it goes into this whole thing where it's like, oh, well, you can keep the children while you're breastfeeding them because they're not going to add any burden of like, you don't have to buy food and stuff like that. And then when they get bigger and they're able to be weaned off of breastfeeding, then you just sell them as food. <laughs> Mm -hmm. That's 
just like so I'm funny. laughing at Gracie's reaction to what I just said, <laughs> <laughs> not at the essay. Just but that's disturbing. like so disturbing. It is disturbing. It really is. Like I like I have put it down for me to read, but now I think I'm just not gonna read it based off of all of that. Yeah, you have <laughs> no, the gist you. of it. I got the gist of it. I don't need to read it. But for some reason, even though they're not very much alike, it reminded me of The Giver. Did you ever read that book? Yeah, it's actually I, a quartet. It's, it's yes. Yes. And I didn't know that until like uh an old friend introduced me to it. I read it, loved it. And then like a few years later, I decided to pick it up again. And I saw that it was a quartet. And yeah, it's so, so good. Another dystopian world. And that could be, it can be argued that that's horror as well because yes. of everything that goes on there. Exactly. Like, you know, the, the first book, The Giver, is essentially, well, actually, let me just, you know, do everybody the favor yeah. and just look it up i and too can, am on yeah it can be a standalone it, it could be because each of them could be well mm -hmm. actually the last one i don't think it can be right because it has most mostly all of the characters yeah i think the last one brings them all together it does um the giver by lois laurie l-o-w-r-y hopefully i pronounced that correctly at the age of 12, Jonas, a young boy from a seemingly utopian futuristic world, is singled out to receive a special training from the giver who alone holds the memories of the true joys of pain and life. And it's like in this world, no one can see color. Am I right? Well, they they give up all emotion. And I think it's represented as like they're giving up color. But yeah, they're basically saying in order to have a utopian society, you cannot express emotion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And everything has to be kind of perfect. And children are... People are raised collectively... By personality or something like that? No, by personality. By needs? Not even by personality. Yeah, it's more like needs. And then when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. And I also had on my list, I have so much on my list. It's never ending. Mexican Gothic wow. by Silvia Moreno Garcia. And that's from, I think, 2020. And that was like a really hot book that year. Really? Um, it's got 3.68 on Goodreads and it's 320 pages and basically after it's like an ode to the gothic novel it's after receiving a frantic letter from her newly wed cousin begging for someone to save her from a mysterious doom Naomi heads to high place a distant house in the Mexican countryside she's not sure what she will find her cousin's husband a handsome English is a stranger and Naomi knows little about the region she's also an unlikely rescuer she's a glamour debutante and her chic gowns and perfect red lipstick are more suited for cocktail parties than amateur sleuthing but she is also tough and smart with an indomitable will and she isn't afraid not of her cousin's new husband who is both menacing and alluring not of his father the ancient patriarch who seems to be fascinated by naomi and not even of the house itself which begins to invade naomi's dreams with visions of blood and doom well excuse me yeah that sounds really really interesting yeah. i already put it to want to read i'm gonna have like a slew of want to reads am i actually gonna read it <laughs> let's see what happens that's a good let's one let's see how many pages is it, it it's is... 320 pages that's hardcover too shoot man oh man oh man all right and i like so... it because it's written by a hispanic person so it's like yay let's get them. yeah support let's support do you want me to just keep going on because i got lots yeah, more keep here. going keep going keep going 
So the next one, I'm going to switch to like a more lighthearted. Uh, have you seen The Nightmare Before Christmas? Yes. Okay. So they came out, I think, last year or the year before with, I didn't think to write down the, the years for these, a Nightmare Before Christmas book called Long Live the Pumpkin Queen, and it's by Shay Earnshaw, and it's got 3.88 on Goodreads, and it's 315 pages. So Sally Skellington is the official newly minted pumpkin queen after a whirlwind courtship with her true love, Jack, who Sally adores with every inch of her fabric seams. If only she could say the same for her new role as queen of Halloween town. Cast into the spotlight and tasked with all sorts of queenly duties, Sally can't help but wonder if all she's done is trade in her captivity under Dr. Frankenstein for a different, a bit gilded cage. But when Sally and Zero accidentally uncover a long hidden doorway to the ancient realm called Dreamtown in the forest hinterlands, she unknowingly sets into motion a chain of sinister events that put her future as Pumpkin Queen and the future of Halloween Town itself into jeopardy. Can Sally discover what it means to be true to herself and save the town she learned to call home, or will her future turn into her worst well nightmare? So that was like a fun one that I read earlier this year. Definitely sounds cute. Yeah. Oh, another short one is My Sister, the Serial Killer. And I apologize, I'm going to butcher this woman's name. It is by Onikan Rothway. That sounds familiar. It is only 226 pages and I got 3.68 um, on Goodreads. Okay. And when, oh gosh, I'm really going to like butcher these names. I apologize. When Corandia's dinner is interrupted one night by a distress call from her sister, Oyula, she knows what expect what's expected of her. Bleach, rubber gloves, nerves of seal, and a strong stomach. This is the third boyfriend Aloya's dispatched in, quote, self-defense, and the third mess that her lethal little sibling has left Cordita to clear away. She should probably go to the police for the good of the menfolk of Nigeria, but she loves her sister, and as they say, family always comes first. Until that is, Ayula starts dating a doctor where Cordita works as a nurse. And this doctor She's been in love with him, so she isn't prepared to see him wind up with a knife in his back. But to save one would mean sacrificing the other. This sounds like it's a movie or a TV show waiting to happen. Yeah, so this is technically considered a Black comedy novel, but it's definitely like also fits into horror as well. But it's a short little read, and it's really... Really? I mean, we talk about, like, relationships, the relationship between these two sisters and the dysfunction, but also, like, the sisterly love. I, you know, how how I feel about, you know, books. (laughs) I mean, not books, just relationships between females. So I'm I'm here for it. And it's nice that it takes place in Nigeria. Someplace different, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I would definitely recommend that. Another one that I thought was really good, and this is, it's going to be a series, but there there's only one book so far. Book two comes out in 2024. It's called Blood Debts by Terry Benton Walker. I got 3.8 stars, and it is 416 pages. And basically, 30 years ago, a young woman was murdered, a family was lynched, and the New Orleans saw the greatest magical massacre in history. 
In the days that followed, a throne was stolen from a queen. On the anniversary of these brutal events, Clement and Christina Trudeau, the 16-year-old twin heirs of, to the powerful, magical, dethroned family, are mourning their father and caring for their sick mother. Until by chance, they discover their mother isn't sick, she's cursed. Cursed by someone on the very magic council their family used to rule. Someone who will come for them next. Christina, once a talented and dedicated practitioner of generational magic, has given up magic for good. An ancient spell is what killed their father, and she is the one that cast it. For Clement, magic is his lifeline, a distraction from his anger and pain, even better than the random guys he hooks up with. Christina and Clement used to be each other's most trusted confidant and friend. Now they barely speak. But if they have any hope of discovering who is coming after their family, they'll have to find a way to trust each other and their family's magic, all while solving the decades-old murder that sparked the still-rising tensions between the city's magical and non-magical communities. And if they don't succeed, New Orleans may see another massacre or worse. This is bringing me all kinds of vibes. <laughs> Everything. It's really good. I think, and this is YA. Yeah, it's technically YA. It's a longer YA book. But oh, yeah. No. 416 but, pages. Yeah. Okay. But because it's YA, it feels like it goes a lot faster. It's just too much for me. But I do like the idea of magic. Another book about magic. I love it. New Orleans reminds me of The Princess... The, and what is it? The Princess and the Frog. Oh, yeah. The Princess and the Frog. I like, I, I'm digging this. I'm digging this. And this, but this doesn't seem scary to me at all. Or it's, not scary. Haunting. That's, that's our word, preferred word for today. It's spooky. Like. The things that they could do and do do. Um, well, there's, uh, without giving it away, there's some things that happen to Clement that um, are really like, uh, you're like, what is happening? This is like really spooky. Like, where is he right now? Hmm. Okay. But like it is that. really, I mean, it's, there's a lot in this book. Like we could probably, I mean, any of these books we could, could probably talk it. about the whole time. But yeah, because it's like the their relationships are really fractured over what happened because it's not just them. Like it's the twins, but it's also their mother. It's all their aunts. Like, because everybody, the whole family kind of has to rally. Like the family has been decimated. And then you find out all these things that happened in the parents' generation that are affecting their generation. It's interesting to me that she christina she's 16 years old but already she once a talented and dedicated practitioner of generational magic i'm just like she's 16 and she's done that already so i'm, I'm curious as to what that could possibly mean because to me it sounds as though she should be like in her 30s dealing with all of this stuff but it must have yeah. been so much that has happened that maybe she has had to do stuff sooner rather than later. Yeah, when she was very young. And I'm loving the cover art right now because it is yeah. very, you know, back in the day. I like me some back in the day stuff. Yeah, so. it has like a jazz, like kind of yes, you know, like New Orleans yes, vibe. Yes. And it's got like a big full moon. And last night we had a full moon. Oh, did we? Yeah, <laughs> it was a beautiful full moon. I did not know. Yeah. I'm liking this. But yeah, I would definitely you, recommend Heather. it. And you have, like, the next book doesn't come out till next year. So you can, I you have time. time. Let's all not uh, hold our breath. <laughs> yeah. Because we all know my track record. Okay. Yeah. And I'm excited that it's coming out next year because 
it is you are kind of left at the end being like okay what's gonna happen what's next oh god yeah I can do this I'm a grown-up <laughs> there's too many books and not enough there's time too many books there's too many tv shows there's not enough time in the day yeah but yeah yeah Ooh, okay so the next one I technically just started reading today but I added it to the list because oh. I was so excited because <laughs> I had no idea that this was based off of a book and it's let the right one in it was a book first it was? I feel like yeah. I want to say yes, but okay. Yeah, let the right one in. The movie, the original movie, the Swedish, Swedish was it Swedish, yeah. was very good. Yeah, so I'm a, like, I just That's started it. it, so I can't say, like, how close they are yet, but it's by John Avidi Linquist. Let the right one in. It's got 4.04 on Goodreads. It's 513 pages. So it's a, oh my it's a big God. boy. It is autumn 1981 when the inconceivable comes to Blackberg, a suburb in Sweden. The body of a teenage boy is found emptied of blood. The murder rumored to be part of a ritual killing. 12-year-old Oscar is personally hoping that revenge has come at long last. Revenge for the bullying he endures at school day after day. But the murder is not the most interesting thing on his mind. A new girl has moved in next door. A girl who has never seen a Rubik's Cube before, but who can solve it at once. There is something wrong with her, though, something odd. And she only comes out at night. This was published in 2004, May 1st, 2004. Very interesting. It was a good movie. It was a good yeah. Movie. So I started it today and... I'm really excited, but it is a big boy. It, it definitely is. Yeah. Well, the other one that I am in the middle of reading is a, I think it came out in 2020. It is The Widow of Rose House by Diana Biller. And it's not necessarily like spooky yet. I'm only like eight chapters in, but I wanted to like at least add it as an honorable mention because I picked it up last night to read and it sucked me in. And it's based in the Gilded Age in New York City, and it's Gilded Age gothic novel. And so it's about this haunted house. And so it's really good so far. Like, I didn't want to put it down earlier. Okay. And so the premise is it's a 3.84 on Goodreads, and it's 352 pages. It's 1875, and Alva Webster has perfected her stiff upper lip after three years of being pilloried, pilloried in the presses of two continents over fleeing her abusive husband. Now his sudden death allows her to return to New York to make a fresh start, restoring life to whose, I don't know what the heck that is, oh, a dilapidated Hyde Park mansion, and hopefully her reputation at the same time. However, fresh starts aren't as easy as they seem, as Alva discovers when stories of a haunting at life de house begin to reach her. But Alva doesn't believe in ghosts. So when the eccentric and pr brilliant Professor Samuel Moore appears and informs her that he can get to the bottom of the mystery that surrounds left de house or left de house, she turns him down flat. She doesn't need any more complications in her life, especially not a handsome convention flouting and scandal raising one like sam unfortunately 
it might it's, it's going to be too much information. Unfortunately, though, Alva is loath to admit it. Sam, a pioneer in electric lighting and a member of the nationally adored Moore family of scientists, is the only one who can help. Together, the two delve into the tragic secrets, reading Alva's new home while Sam attempts to unlock Alva's history and her heart. So this is also a romance. Yeah, well, not yet, but oh. at least as far as I've gotten to, but <laughs> probably. Now, like the host, I was like, oh, does that is that like a Dutch for Rose House? Since it's called, the title has Rose House, but it's actually House of Love. Oh, hmm. interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But it's like a good, like, it's very spooky with the ghosts. Like, yeah, so Sam is trying to determine if the house is actually haunted. Like, he's really interested in, like, studying ghosts to see if they're real or not. And she's, like, not a believer. But all this stuff keeps happening because she's trying to, like, renovate the house. And, uh, yeah, I'm not very far into it. But definite honorable mention. Yeah. It's really good. I didn't want to put it down when I started it last night. And I was pretty tired. That says a lot. When you're really tired yeah. and you want to go to sleep, but you want to keep reading, that, mm-hmm. that that means the world. Big time. Yeah. Big time. So I only have two more authors. The one I know you didn't read, but we've discussed it. I wanted to, like, have a variety of, of different, like, books and stuff. So I thought Lockwood & Co. It's a pretty oh, good I, I actually was series. thinking about that. Yeah, that would be a really good series to read around Halloween. I th- I think you're absolutely right yeah. there because I mean, come on now, like it's it's, it's spooky. Yeah the the first book is called The Screaming Staircase, <laughs> like, but yeah, that's and it's very highly rated. So it's a series. There's five books and one novella. The first book is 440 pages. I think they're all basically around that, except for the novella. Uh, but it got. 4.24 on Goodreads. Like, that's so good. That really is good. And it's by Jonathan Stroud. For those that don't know, uh, when the dead come back to haunt the living, Lockwood and Co. step in. For more than 50 years, the country has been affected by a horrifying epidemic of ghosts. The number, A number of psychic investigation agencies have sprung up to destroy the dangerous apparitions. Lucy Carlyle, a talented young agent, arrives in London hoping for a notable career. Instead, she finds herself joining the smallest, most ramshackle agency in the city, run by the charismatic Anthony Lockwood. When one of their cases goes horribly wrong, Lockwood and co. have one last chance of redemption. Unfortunately, this involves spending the night in one of the most haunted houses in England and trying to escape alive. Set in a city stalked by specters, The Streaming Staircase is the first in the chilling new series full of suspense, humor, and truly terrifying ghosts. Your nights will never be the same again. But yeah, so definitely check out Lockwood & Co. And then be angry like we are with Netflix after after you finish the series. Absolutely. That's That's just like a touch, a drop in the bucket of how many good books and short stories there are my final thing is just anything by Edgar Allan Poe like you know tis the season for Edgar Allan Poe I don't think I've read any Edgar Allan Poe's but I have wanted to visit his home in the Bronx well the Raven 
probably read The Raven. Yeah, you probably read some in school. Well, I will tell you, I will post this as well if you want to post it on Instagram. There is poemuseum.org that has access to all of his works. So it has things like The Telltale Heart, The Raven, Annabelle Lee, The Pit and the Pendulum, like the black cat, like his more famous ones, but it has everything else as well. Like everything is just like laid out. You can read it for free. People want to go to poemuseum.org. It's a museum that's based in Richmond, Virginia, and it has all of his works. Sounds interesting. Yeah. So there's no excuse. You can read them all. But that was, that was everything I had written down. But there's, I mean, there's endless. We didn't even get into like Stephen King or Joe Hill. Oh, that, that, you see, I or don't. Or any of those. I don't think I have read any Stephen King, but I've, and it's, I, and yeah. all of this stuff is like really, again, I think it's stuff, okay, they're scary, right? But they're also thought provoking. Mm-hmm. I really, really do think so. Those are like the best. And then I also going to like the classics because there's overlap too. Cause I would even say like some of Isaac Asimov, some of his books have like really freaked me out. Yeah. Why? And I would consider them like spooky. Like I can't remember which one it is, but there's one where like these people go into this tunnel that has like complete darkness. And when they come out, they go insane that book whatever that book is that freaked me out and then there's also our our mr problematic horror dude himself mr hp lovecraft who's an asshole oh yeah but like who who wrote war of the worlds do you recall let me look uh, that was i mean i don't think that that's scary but like again H.G. Wells. H.G. Okay, Wells. Yeah, so he was another one. So there's a lot the time of... machine. Going back to the whole dystopian thing, there's a lot of, like, crossover between genres where you have, like, people that are both, like, horror, spooky, but also, like, sci-fi. According to um, Goodreads, it is also considered horror. Sci-fi, horror, and fantasy. Interesting. Yeah, so there's but. so many genres are so interesting because there's so many like crossovers and you. then subgenres. I learned a lot from you because yeah. I think we had this discussion before that I was just like, oh, really? I can't remember what it was. I would just add also Fahrenheit 451, which yeah, I think to me that's like terrifying. Oh, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, let's burn all books. Okay. You yeah. don't want people to be educated whatsoever to get any type of ideas. Yeah. Okay. Or even like. I'm trying to recall, not to change the subject, but there was this other book, for the love of God, that I always seem to mix it up with Fahrenheit 451. And I'm like, wait a second. I can't remember four, Fahrenheit 451's name, but for once in my life, I remembered, but now I can't remember the other one. Do you remember what it's about? It's about this guy who like lives in a this is a fascist country not i can't recall if it was the united states and he you know just works 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 oh there's like um, propaganda all over the place he likes 1984 yes thank you yeah that would be another good one Mm -hmm. 1984 
1984. All those things make me like. That's the whole Big Brother George Orwell. There we yeah. go. Yeah. That. I read that one more recently. I hadn't read it before just because of the climate. I'm like, oh, maybe I should be reading these books. Like, I also read Animal Farm. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. I know. Animal Farm is like a doozy. I thought it was a doozy. Yeah. I really did. So you see, that's that. That's what scares me. Those types of things. Yeah, because it, they can become with with most of the dystopian stuff. There's there's enough in it that you're like, this could happen. Yeah. Well, this talk is making me remember another book that I read like a while ago. It's a 2017 book called The Girl Before by J.P. Delaney. It's considered a psychological thriller. I love me a psychological thriller. I, okay, you know what? Uh, okay, we're on to something here. But psychological thrillers are spooky too. Yes, they are. This is an enthralling psychological thriller that spins one woman's seemingly good fortune and another woman's mysterious fate through a kaleidoscope of duplicity, death, and deception. Please make a list of every possession you consider essential to your life. The request seems odd, even intrusive, and for the two women who answer, the consequences are devastating. Emma, reeling from a traumatic break-in, Emma wants a new place to live, but none of the apartments she seems sees are affordable or feel safe until one Fulgate Street. The house is an architectural masterpiece, a minimalist design of pale stone, plate glass, and soaring ceilings, but there are rules. The end endomatic architect who designed the house retains full control no books no throw pillars pillows no photos or clutter or personal effects of any kind the space is intended to transform its occupant and it does jane after a personal tragedy jane needs a fresh start when she finds one fullgate street she is instantly drawn to the space and to its aloof but seductive creator moving in jane soon learns about the untimely death of the home's previous tenant, a woman similar to Jane in age and appearance. As Jane tries to untangle truth from lies, she unwittingly follows the same patterns, makes the same choices, crosses paths with the same people, and experiences the same terror as the girl before. Interesting. Yeah. And it's, uh, let's see, it's got 3.7 on Goodreads and... It is 341 pages, so it's not too... This this is another one that, I, if I remember correctly, is a lot of short chapters, because it goes back and forth between the two women. So it makes it go by seemingly fast. Mm -hmm. Interesting. But yeah, a thriller is a great thing to read around oh, this I time. I must have already clicked on that. Oh, I'm talking to myself. Never mind. I did that literally just as you were <laughs> telling me about it. But there's Dr. so many... Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. yeah. I mean, classics this time of year, Frankenstein, what is it, Dr. Strange and Mr. Norell, like there's so many different books and short stories and poems and stuff that you can read. The Family Game was another one that I read recently that I totally forgot about until just now that was, it's definitely this time of year to read it's from 2022 it's 336 pages and i got a 3.87 it's by katherine stedman and it's 
a rich eccentric family, a time honored tradition, or a lethal game of survivor? Question mark. One woman finds out what it's like to join the one percent in this riveting psychological thriller from the best-selling author of yada yada yada. <laughs> Harry is a novelist on the brink of stardom. Edward, her soon-to-be, is seemingly perfect. In love and freshly engaged, their bliss is interrupted by the reemergence of the Holbecks, Edward's eminent family and embodiment of American old money. For years, they dominated headlines and pulled society's strings, and Edward left them all behind to forge his own path. But there are eyes and ears everywhere. It is only a matter of time before they were pulled back in. After all, even though he's long severed ties with his family, Edward is set to inherit it all. Harriet is drawn to the glamour and sophistication of the Holbecks, who seem to welcome her with open arms. But everything changes when she meets Robert, the inescapably magnetic head of the family. At first... At their first meeting, Robert slips Harry a cassette tape, revealing a shocking confession which sets the inevitable game in motion. What is it about Harry that made him give her the tape? A thing that has the power to destroy everything? As she ramps up her quest for the truth, she must endure the whole buck's savage Christmas traditions, all the while knowing that losing this game could be deadly. I feel like that description doesn't fully encompass like how spooky and like don't want to give much away yeah because there's there's some crazy ass shit that happens in this book (laughs) that you're like what is happening all right all right all right you're like y'all can keep your own money i'm gonna be over here where i live and be safe that that's always a good good idea yeah (laughs) always a good idea that's for sure but do you have any other no, I don't. I, I mean, don't. we could, we could go on all night, but what do you all think? Like, are there any things that you're reading right now that fit in with Halloween and this season? Any recommendations, books, short stories, whatever they short may be? Short stories are preferred. Yeah. Do you have a favorite poem? Let us know on Instagram. Uh, while you're there, letting us know, go ahead and like and follow. Uh, check out our other episodes. We will be back to wrap up our Pride and Prejudice series. We are going to wrap it up with the part 10. We swear. We swear. We swear. It's just going to be one more episode. <laughs> it might be a long episode. We'll see how long we talk. Oh, my God. But we're going to wrap it up. Uh, in the meantime, buy us a coffee, check us out, rate us on the podcast platforms, what, whichever one you're listening. Let us know what we should be reading next. Yes, um, even though we've already started one. Yeah, but let us know because, I don't know, we're probably not going to take 10 episodes to talk about this next book. That is absolutely right. So... <laughs> And in the meantime, thanks for listening to Gabbing. Gabbing. We're Gabbing. We're Gabbing. We're Gabbing. We're Gabbing. We're Gabbing. We're Gabbing.